Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number 6, and of course, uh, this morning we are continuing in our series, uh, Mixing Politics and Religion, and over the last uh, four weeks, I've uh, been focusing on just what the Bible actually teaches about government and, and how we should uh, think and respond to government. And then uh, this week and for the rest of the series, um, which is just a few sermons left, we're, we're going to transition into more of these spiritual aspects of government. And uh, this morning I'm preaching on the subject of the rulers of the darkness of this world. And really a subtitle for the sermon could be Exposing the New World Order. And uh, because there is a plan by the devil to bring about a new world uh, order system. And I'll just be honest with you, you know, as I was, as, uh, as I was studying for the sermon uh, for this week, uh, I came to the realization that I usually come to oftentimes, is, and it is that there is too much to cover about this subject in one sermon. And uh, so, you know, this, 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 this subject really could use its own series. And I often find that, you know, several months ago I preached a sermon about God's not an American, and I had to skip so much stuff that I decided to preach this series, Mixing polit- uh, Politics and Religion. And then in this series, I'm working on this sermon on the New World Order, and there's so much to skip that, you know, I may have to do a series uh, at a later time, just kind of delving into every little aspect of this. But uh, all that to say this, this sermon is going to have to be more of a general overview of this topic and really a biblical explanation um, of the elite's role in forming a new world order. And if you, you know, hear me say that this morning and you think, oh, wow, you're just some sort of a conspiracy kook. First of all, let me say this. I get where you're coming from, all right? A lot of conspiracy people are kooks, all right? And even the ones that are members at Verity Baptist Church. But, um, and I love them. But, uh, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but you need to understand that the Bible actually teaches this, all right? And this is where the rubber meets the road for Christianity, where you have to actually just decide, I believe and love the Bible more than anything else. In fact, you know, if you've had a problem with this series, you know, over the last several weeks, I can tell you what the problem is. You are more, uh, you have more allegiance to a political system than you do the Bible. You have more allegiance to a candidate than you do the Bible, you have more allegiance to, you know, human philosophy than you do the Bible. And I'm not going to go down that road. I've never gone down that road. And, you know, I think it's interesting that people, are, you know, they're up in arms about this sermon. In 2016, I preached an entire sermon called Why Christians Should Not Vote for Donald Trump. You know, I don't know if you remember that. But, uh, you know, I haven't changed, all right? You've changed. I haven't. Uh, and I'm preaching the same Bible I've been preaching for the last 10 years. And I don't have any plans on stopping either. Uh, I don't care who likes it or who doesn't like it. Um, but I'm preaching on this subject of the rulers of the darkness of this world. And in order for you to understand this, you first must understand the concept of spiritual warfare. The concept of spiritual warfare. And um, if you look down at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, of, of course in verse 12 is where we get the title of the sermon. But I want you to notice verse 11 just for a little bit of context. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So notice, we are to put on the armor of God in order to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we're fighting the devil. And then in verse 12, and that's spiritual warfare, by the way. In verse 12, he says this. In verse 12, he tells us what we're not fighting. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He says, look, it's not a physical warfare. It is a spiritual warfare. 
We're not going to go to war against flesh and blood, against human beings. That's not the point. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He says, because we are standing against the wiles of the devil. So spiritual warfare is against the devil, not necessarily against other uh, human beings. That's why the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Uh, you know, the battle that we are engaged in is a spiritual battle. However, I want you to understand this. We're not at war with human beings, but the devil does set up and use powerful people. He sets up powerful people, and he uses powerful people, influential people, as tools in that spiritual warfare. Look at verse 12 again. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So obviously, that's talking about spiritually the devil and his demons, but he is using the principalities, the powers, and the rulers of this world, uh, and the people in high places to fight and for his ultimate plan in spiritual warfare. So I want you to understand that. And that's where this idea of the rulers of darkness of this world, of new world order comes from. And uh, uh, you're you're there in Ephesians chapter number six. Go back to Ephesians chapter two just real quickly. I'm going to give you three points this morning. And I encourage you to write these down. You can write them on the back of the course of the week. And look, you need to understand these things. First of all, we should just, our allegiance should be to the Bible. Our allegiance should be to the word of God. And we should understand what the Bible says. So I want to give you three thoughts this morning in regards to this, and hopefully it'll help you understand <clears throat> this doctrine. First of all, let's talk about the propping up of the rulers of the darkness of this world. The promotion, you could say, of the rulers of the darkness of the world. How is it that these men and women uh, get propped up in our society? And what you need to understand is this. This world you and I live in, this country... I know a lot of patriotic people aren't liking me right now, but this, you know, God bless America country you and I live in is under the control of the devil. The Bible teaches that. You say, ah, you're anti-American. You know what? Every country is under the control of the devil. That's what the Bible teaches. So you can just put me under, you know, I'm anti-whatever, Cuba. I'm anti-China. I'm anti-all of them. They're all under the control. You know, I'm bound for the kingdom, That's a different kingdom than the kingdom of this world. And this world is under the control of the devil and his demons. And I'll prove that to you, Ephesians chapter 2. And look, people people don't like, they don't mind when I say, Russia's under the control of the devil. You know, they're like, amen. China's under the control of the devil, amen. North Korea's under the control of the devil, amen. The U.S. is under the control of the devil. Wait a minute, pastor. You know, that ought to show you something about your heart. That ought to show you, you know, Putin is under the control of the devil. Hitler is under the control of the devil. Stalin, every political leader is under the control. Amen, amen, amen. Donald Trump, uh, wait a minute, Pastor. That ought to show you something about your heart. That ought to show you something about what's in your heart. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, notice what the Bible says. And look, Biden's under the control of the devil. Hillary Clinton is the devil, okay? You know, all of that. I'm not, I'm not on a political side here. Ephesians 2, 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that when you were unsaved, and this hopefully this is the case, when you were unsaved in times past, 
ye walked according to the course of this world. Hopefully the case is you're not no longer walking under the course of this world. But here's what Paul's saying. He's saying unbelievers, unsaved people, they are walking in the course of this world. The world has set up a course. They've set up a, an alley. They've set up a way for you to walk in. And unsaved people and worldly Christians and Christians who don't, don't read their Bible and Christians who don't actually walk with God, they're all going to just walk in the course of this world, the agenda of this world, the thoughts of this world. He says, where in time past you walked according to the course of the world. And please, understand this. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but you need to understand this. If you spend more time watching the stinking hell of vision than you do reading the Bible, you are more than likely walking in the course of this world. Because they're using the media to program you. That's why it's called programming. They're brainwashing you into walking in the course of this world. Notice, well, who's, who determines the course of the world? Who determines the agenda of the world? Who determines what's acceptable, what's unacceptable? Who determined that, you know, all the things of the world are acceptable and everything Pastor Jimenez preaches is unacceptable? (laughs) You know, who determined that? You know, who determined that you can put every sort of filth and stupidity on YouTube, but we're going to ban Pastor Anderson from YouTube? Who determined that? I mean, who determined that Christians cannot go higher than the Republican Party, that the Republican Party is basically synonymous with Christianity, and when you walk up and say, well, actually, the Bible doesn't say any of that, people are like, ah, I don't want to hear that. Who determined that? Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, notice, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Who decides the course of the world? It is the prince of the power of the air. See, there is a ruler. There is a king. There is, the Bible even uses this term, lowercase g, God of this world. And it is the devil. If you're there in Ephesians, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You're in Ephesians. You're going to go past Galatians into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says this, In whom the God, but notice it's not a capital G God, it's a false God, a lowercase g God, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Look, those people who do not believe Unbelievers and a bunch of worldly Christians have their minds blinded by the God of this world. Why? Because they're walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. He says, less. The word less means unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, our job is to go to this unbelieving world and not be like them. Not just, you know, uh, pattern ourselves after them. We're supposed to bring the light into darkness. Look, the light is different than darkness. Darkness says all these things are fine. Abortion's fine. LGBTQ is fine. Black Lives Matter and communism and Marxism and socialism and the new world order is fine. And then we bring the light of the glorious gospel and say, no, God is different. 
See, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Go to John chapter number 12. John 12. You keep going backwards, you're going to go past 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Acts, John. John chapter 12 and verse 31. John 12, 31. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. This is what Jesus says. Because people say, well, I think the prince of the power of the air. People have literally said, I think the prince of the power of the air is referring to Jesus. Right, because Jesus is the one who's setting the course of this world. Well, I think the lowercase g God there is referring to Jesus. Right, because he's the one that's blinded the minds of them, which believe not. Well, look, in John 12, you have Jesus speaking. If you have a red-letter edition Bible, these words are in red. These words actually came out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. You think he's talking about himself? No. Talking about a different prince. The word prince, principality, they all mean the same thing. It's talking about someone who's a political leader, a, a ruler, He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. He mentions this throughout the book of John. Go to John chapter 14. Look at verse 30. John chapter 14 and verse 30. John 14, 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. Notice, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Notice, Jesus said, hey, the prince of this world is coming, and the prince of this world, he hath nothing in me. What does that mean? That means there's nothing we have in common. There's nothing he has that is like me. So look, this prince of the world is different than Jesus. John 16, look at verse 8. In John 16 and verse 8, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who's going to come after Jesus ascends. John 16, 18, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he explains in verses 9 and 10 um, what he means by that. Notice verse 11, he says of judgment. He says, why is the Holy Spirit going to reprove the world of judgment? Here's why. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So I want you to notice that the devil is the one who's running the show in this world. You say, who's running the show on TV? The devil. Who's running the show on YouTube? The devil. Who's running the show on social media? The devil. Who's running the show? The devil. This world is under the control of the devil and his demons. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the lowercase g god of this world. He is the prince of this world. He is in charge of this world. Go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 4. You're there in John. Just head back uh, past Luke, Mark, into the book of Matthew. And look, this sermon is going to be very much a Bible study, so we're going to be just flipping to a lot of pages and, and Scripture. Uh, So just be ready to do that. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 8. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. This world is under the control of the devil and his demons. And not only that, the devil, because he runs this world, the devil is able to set up people in positions of power and influence. Because he's the one that controls the world He's the one that is able to set people up in powers, in positions of power and influence. Let me give you an example of that, Matthew chapter 4. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, you have 
the story of the temptation of Christ when Jesus was tempted by the devil. And, you know, we could preach a whole sermon on this, and that's a, a sermon for another day. But I want you to notice one of the temptations, one of the things that the devil tries. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says this, Again, the devil taketh him, referring to Jesus, up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. Notice. He shows him all the governments, all the nations of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him. Now notice what the devil says. He says, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now I want you to notice, the devil, he gives this, he, he makes this deal, he gives this, 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 uh, uh, you know, this a chance to Jesus. He says, look, he makes this proposition, he says, if you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. I'll give you the power of this world. I'll give you, and notice, Jesus doesn't say, Come on, devil, you don't have the right to do that. You don't have the authority to do that, all of that. You know, Jesus doesn't say that because he does have the right to do that because he's the prince of the power of the air. Because he's the prince of the world. Notice, Jesus doesn't respond calling his bluff. Jesus responds by saying, you know what? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with, uh, and, thou, and, and, thou shalt, uh, and him only shalt thou serve. But the point is this, is the devil has the power to give and to offer power and money and influence to people and the devil does that and that's how he sets people up in positions of power and influence look you think jesus is the only one he offered fame to he offered influence to he offered success to you ever heard of people selling their soul to the devil i mean this is literally this is bible this is true One of the ways, and by the way, one of the reasons that we have in the Bible the story of the temptations of the devil is because we can learn from that how he tempts people. He tempts them through uh, a physical appetite because he asked Jesus to make these stones bread. And then he tempts them through success and power and influence. You know, the Bible says that we should not be ignorant of the devices of the devil. He only has a few plays. He only has a few things that he does, and one of them is he offers influence to people. He's, he, the world is under his control, and because of that, he is able to set people up in positions of power and influence. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 24. In the Old Testament, if you find the one and two books, they're all clustered together. 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 24, and you know, let, let me explain this. This, this concept of the propping up of the rulers of the world. But before we go there, you, you turn there. Let me just say this. This is why there are some people in this world that are just super successful, you know, beyond just their wildest dreams. And I'm not saying that in a positive way. <laughs> you know, I understand a man going and starting a business and working hard and building that business and getting employees and making a life for himself and making a good life for himself. The Bible talks about that. The Bible says that. But there are some people in this world that are just crazy rich and successful to the point of ridiculous. I mean, when you're making over a million dollars a day, some of these elites, don't tell me you didn't get there without the help of the devil. That's not normal. That's not a man just getting up every day, rolling up his sleeves, and working hard. 
When you're making $53,000, you know, a minute, I mean, when you're just making the, you know, you just have this endless amount of resources and cash and ability and power and influence, look, where does that come from? Well, you didn't get up there without the permission of the ruler of the darkness of this world. Without the permission of the prince of the power of the air. Without the god of this world. See, this world is under the control of the devil and his demons. And the devil is able to set people up in positions of power and influence. Now, let me just say this. You know, because we believe, ultimately, that the heavens do rule. And I talked about that in, in I think, the first sermon in this series. How God is the god of the geopolitical structure of this world. God is the one who ultimately, you know, uh, 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 decides the plan of mankind. You say, well, how do you synthesize the devil's control and God's supremacy? How, how, you know, is it God in control or is it the devil in control? And, And here's what I want you to understand. I want to show you this in scripture and I'll explain this to you. In 2 Samuel 24, and in a minute we're going to turn to 1 Chronicles 21, you, we have these verses that people often point to as a contradiction in Scripture. 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And again, the anger of the Lord, notice, capital L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah God. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he, who's the he there? It's the Lord, moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So according to 2 Samuel 24, 1, Who is the one who moved David to count the children of Israel? And of course, if you're familiar with the story, this is something that was forbidden by the Bible for kings to count and number the people. And and as a result, a huge plague comes upon the kingdom of Israel. According to 2 Samuel 24, 1, who moved David to do that? It's the Lord, right? I mean, the Lord, the anger of the Lord was kindled against uh, Israel, and he, the Lord, moved David against Israel them to say, go number uh, Israel and Judah. 2 Samuel 24, 1. Now let's look at the same story in 1 Chronicles 21. So just flip over. You're there in 2 Samuel. You're going to go past 1 and 2 Kings into the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21. Look at verse 1. 1 Chronicles 21, 1. The Bible says this, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoke David to number Israel. Now, wait a minute. Is that a contradiction in Scripture? Because in 1 Chronicles 21.1, we're told Satan is the one that provoked David to number Israel. But in 2 Samuel 24.1, we're told the Lord moved David against them uh, to go number Israel and Judah. So which is it? In the answer, it's both. Because, see, God ultimately allows the devil to control the world. God God did not create robots. Just like God allows you to sin, just like God allows me to sin, God ultimately allows the devil to control the world, but God inevitably uses the devil in his ultimate plan. You know, here's a perfect example of that. The book we're studying on Wednesday nights, the book of Job. You know, who is the one who destroyed Job's life, who brought Job down, who took everything from Job? Who is it? It's God. 
I mean, Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job said that, that God is trying him and that God is putting him through this. But wait a minute, who actually did it, though? Who actually killed his kids, took his business, took his health? It was the devil. You say, well, was it the devil or was it God? It was both because God allows the devil, God allows the devil to work in this world. And though God is not for what the devil is doing because of free will, just because like God's not for you and all the sins you're into. But here's the thing. God in his supreme power can ultimately bring all of it about for his purpose. This is why the Bible says that all things work together for good to them who love Him, to them who are called according to His purpose. It doesn't mean all things are good. It doesn't mean everything you've done is good. It doesn't mean everything the devil has done is good. But it means that God can work all of it out for His plan. So God ultimately allows the devil to control the world, but God inevitably uses the devil in his ultimate plan. So the devil's running the show, and he's got a plan, which his plan is, we're going to talk about it here in a minute, the new world order. And he's propping people up, he's making people famous, he's giving people influence, he's giving people power, he's giving people riches, in order to bring about his plan, what the devil doesn't realize is, you know, the devil's playing Bill Gates, he's playing Warren Buffett, he's playing, you know, Bill Clinton, he's playing all these people to bring about his plan, and then God is playing the devil to bring about his plan. God ultimately allows the devil to control the world, but God inevitably uses the devil in his ultimate plan. And we see that in scripture because you see the story of Job, where the devil thinks he's doing what he's doing, but really it was God's plan, God allowing him. God giving him the permission to do it. We see here that Satan provoked or tempted David to number Israel, but really God was bringing judgment upon David, and it was the Lord that was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them. But how do you do it? He allowed the devil to provoke him to make those decisions. Go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 13, last book in the uh, Bible, Revelation chapter 13. So, I said, number one, let's talk about the propping up of the rulers of this world or the promotion of the rulers of the darkness of this world. How does that happen? The world is under the control of the devil and his demons, and the devil is able to set people up in positions of power and influence. Now, let's talk about the plan of the rulers of the darkness of this world. What is the agenda? What is the point of the devil promoting these elites, what is he trying to accomplish? Well, look, the Bible's very clear about it. Romans chapter 13. And we just spent a lot of time on this. I'm just going to try to explain this quickly. Romans chapter 13 uh, is, is the, the quintessential uh, passage on this. You know, what is it that, what's the plan? What's the agenda of the rulers of the darkest world? Well, there, it's a threefold plan. Number one, to bring, about, to bring about a one world government system. Revelation 13, 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. And by the way, they're going to make war with the saints. It's called the tribulation. And to overcome them, notice, and power was given him. Now the him there is referring to the beast in this context or the antichrist. Power was given unto him, notice, over all kindreds. What are kindreds? Those are families. And tongues. What are tongues? Those are languages. 
and nations. And what are nations? Countries, governments, uh, political systems. The Bible says that power was given unto the beast, unto the Antichrist, unto him, over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So look, when the Antichrist uh, takes over, what we're going to have is a one-world government system where the entire world, all families, all languages, all nations are under the control of one ruler, one leader, the Antichrist. That is the goal. When we, and by the way, when we refer to the New World Order, that's what we're referring to is this one world government system that the devil is going to create. The Antichrist is going to bring about. But it's more than just a one world government system. It is a one world government system, but it is also a one world religious system. Look at verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Who's the him? The Antichrist, the beast. So not only is all power given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, but now all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. So everybody's worshiping him except for people that are saved. Because if you're saved, your name's written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So notice, not only does he have political power over them, but now they are worshiping him. This becomes a one world religious system. Go to verse 15, same chapter. Notice what the Bible says. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. And again, there's so much we could spend a lot of time on this. I'm not going to do it. This is the abomination of desolation. You can read about it in the book of Daniel. You can read about it in the Olivet Discourses throughout the Gospels. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So no, they set up the notice. They set up this image. They say you got to worship the image. And if you don't worship the image, we're going to put you to death. Why? Because it is a one world religious system. And by the way, this is why we stand against ecumenicalism. This blending of religions. You know, pastor, are you going to go to the pastor's uh, breakfast in Sacramento where all, you know, the Presbyterians and the Catholics and the liberals and the community church and the Church of Christ and the Baptists and they all get together and they fellowship? No! You say, why? Because the Bible says that we ought to reprove darkness, not fellowship with it. And this movement of bringing all the churches together, just why can't we all just get along and why can't we just all be friends? It's all moving towards a, not only a one world government system, isn't there a movement of uniting all the nations? I think there's a, there's a famous place in New York City called the United Nations, right? Isn't there a movement of just bringing all the nations together? But there's also a movement of bringing all the religions together. So we have a one world government system we have a one-world religious system. Look, I barely want to fellowship with other Baptists, much less a Catholic. But there's also a one-world monetary system. Revelation 13, look at verse 6. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. Notice, to receive a mark, this is, of course, the infamous mark of the beast, in their right hand, or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell. So what's the purpose of the mark? Now, how do you get the mark? By worshiping the beast. This is why no real Christian is going to take the mark, because no real Christian is going to worship the beast. The Bible's clear about that. But what's the purpose of it? Why do people line up to get it? Because you have to have it in order to buy or sell. 
And of course, in our day and age, we can see how this could be implemented because even now, there are people in our country right now, and look, people who have this, I don't think this is the mark of the beast, but I do think this is the, the, the you know, laying the groundwork for the mark of the beast. You know, you've got smart homes now where people literally get chips put into their hands and they can just open their door by, you know, scanning their hand. You know, open, uh, you know, turn on whatever. Turn on the AC by just speaking because they're technology, you know, they're connected uh, to the system. And obviously, people who have that, I don't think that's the mark of the beast. But we can see how they're laying the groundwork. They're creating the technology. For one day, the entire world is going to be told, you know, we got to put this mark in your hand and in your forehead and that no man might buy or sell save he had the mark of or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Look at verse 18. Here in his wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 603 score six. And of course, that's the infamous 666. But look, this is a monetary system. And, and by the way, not only has there has been a movement to move away from independent nations to a united nation, right? You know, after World War I, we had the League of Nations. That kind of fell apart. Then after World War II, we brought the United Nations. That's kind of falling apart. You know, not really, but, you know, probably after World War III or World War IV or whatever, you know, we're going to bring in the, the Antichrist, you know, and we're moving towards a one-world government. And then religions are moving towards a uh, one-world religious system. So when you see all those pictures of the Pope meeting with the Dalai Lama or whatever, meeting, meeting with you know, these famous imams, you know, that, that's not a good thing. That's, that's the coming one-world system. And then we're also moving to a one-world monetary system. Right? Because there was a time in this, in this world where, you know, money was physical, coins, gold, silver. You had a bag with money in it, right? And you use that to buy and sell. But see, they, they, if they're going to control people and force them to take a mark of the beast, we can't have, we, we can't have physical money. So what do they do? They, take, they took away our gold and silver, and they said, here's a piece of paper that represents the gold and the silver. And then they said, oh, by the way, we lost all the gold and the silver, and the, the, the papers mean nothing. It's just monopoly money. And that's a sermon for another day, but if, if you don't know that, you know, it's just the reason that, the, that there's any value in the U.S. dollar is because we're all playing a big game of monopoly, and we're all just playing the game. That's why it works, because there's, because those dollar bills don't even represent any real, you know, metal anymore. But now what do they do? Now they're taking away the cash. Right? Now they say, hey, don't worry about the cash. Here's a credit card. And then they took away the credit card and said, don't even worry about the credit card. Just pay with your phone. And then they're going to put the phone in your forehead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is the way the system is going. A one-world monetary system. And, you know, businesses are starting to put up signs that say we don't accept cash. You go to stores, they say there's a coin shortage. There's no coins, you know. And it's like, why are there no coins? Coronavirus. I'm like, do coins get sick? <laughs> I didn't know coins got the flu and died. You know, but it's just like everything's coronavirus. Every, you know, never let uh, an epidemic go to waste. So look, what is the plan of the rulers of the darkness of this world? It's a trifold 
demonic plan. It is a one-world government system. It is a one-world religious system. It is a one-world monetary system. What's the point? Look, here's the point. Satan wants to kill you. Wants to kill Christians. Wants to kill your family. He's not for you. He's against you. This is why I don't understand why Christians are just so in love with the devil. You know, the Bible says... Love not the world, neither things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And who's controlling the world? The devil. And you sit there, and you want to defend Hollywood. You want to defend, you know, I don't think you should preach against Fox News. I should be able to preach against every television show, and you say, Amen. Amen. Because the devil is the one that controls this worldly system. And we're in love with it. We're in love with the Hollywood movies. We're in love with the, uh, with the rock and roll music. We're in love with the entertainment system. And you're being programmed by the devil. The plan, but you say, well, but what's the plan? The plan, look, why is there a Hollywood? Why is there a media to brainwash you to go along with the New World Order? Why is there a military industrial complex to create useless, senseless wars to bring about a one world government system? Why every, all of this is bringing this about. And you say, well, what's the point of the New World Order? To kill you. To kill Christianity. To attack the, those who believe. To bring the great tribulation, which is a persecution of believers. Why? Because the devil hates God, period. Why do you keep siding with him? Why do you keep watching his TV shows? Why do you keep listening to his candidates? We have the propping up of the rulers of the darkness of this world. They're propped up by the devil because the devil is under the control. Uh, the, the world is under the control of the devil, and he's able to set people up in positions of power and influence. And then we have the plan of the rulers of the darkness of this world. What's the plan? A one-world government system, a one-world religious system, and a one-world monetary system. That's what they're heading for. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 if you would. Let's talk about, thirdly, the power of the rulers of the darkness of this world. You know, so who actually are these people? Well, I want you to notice what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says this, Where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Notice the word prince there. The word prince is used as a term of a political leader, a leader of people. Then in Ephesians 6, you're there in Ephesians 2, go to Ephesians 6 verse 12, we see this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right? And a principality is talking about a government system, a location that is being ran by a prince, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness. Notice, in high places. People in high places. People of power. People of influence. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 25. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. People say, Pastor, if you keep preaching like this, you're never going to be popular. I didn't get in this thing to be popular. I'm not running for president. I'll say what I want. It's funny to me how all these like patriots, well, we gotta we gotta fight for you know freedom of speech. And it's like, when's the last time you even used freedom of speech? 
I preach against freedom of speech while using freedom of speech. I just say whatever the Bible says. And then you got all these Fox News Baptists, all these pastors. We got to fight for freedom of speech. Yet they'll never stand up and say anything controversial. They'll never preach against the sodomites. They'll never preach against abortion. They'll never say anything that might offend anybody. It's like, look, why don't you actually use freedom of speech? Then we'll talk about it. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know, this is what Jesus said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. So I want you to notice, the principalities in Ephesians 6.12 are connected to two different types of princes. There's the princes, Ephesians 2.2, of the power of the air. Those are the demons, the devils that are running. And you know, the reason I chose to preach the sermon this week is because next week is, uh, is Halloween, right? Everybody wants to like... Worship devils and demons, they're cool. Well, you know, let me tell you about the real demons. They're all in Washington, D.C. They're in the capital. His name's Gavin Newsom. You know, because there's two types. There's two types of princes that we're dealing with when it comes to principalities. We have the prince of the power of the air, the devil. But then you have Matthew 20, 25. You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion, uh, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. See, there are princes that are uh, the devil, and then there are princes that are human beings, that are leaders, that are the elite. And they're connected because one is put in the position by the other, and one is under the influence of the other. This is how it works. See, even the devil has a hierarchy. He's called the prince of the devils, Beelzebub. And, and, and by the way, the angels have a hierarchy. Michael's called the chief prince of, you know, God's angels. So there's a political structure spiritually, principalities. Then there's a political structure on earth. And the political structure on earth is being propped up and is being influenced by the principalities of the prince of the power of the air. Go to Ezekiel, if you would. Ezekiel chapter uh, 28. Towards the end of the uh, Old Testament, you have the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28. And while you turn there, let me just read to you an article. And look, I don't want to delve too much into the conspiracies because there's so much there that you could go into. But look, uh, here's what's not a conspiracy. The fact that there are elites in this world, there are financial, there are political, there are, uh, you know, influential, powerful people, and they are being put there in their positions by the devil, and the devil is the one that's influencing them. Now, let me just read this article for you. I thought this was interesting. It's an, it's an article entitled, What is the Bilderberg Group, and are its members really plotting the New World Order? And here's what, here's what it says. And, and by the way, I'm not going to read this whole article to you, but this is an article like against, you know, conspiracy theories. But they, they say, they, they have to say certain things that are documented um, that, that kind of show you the reality of this. And I'm not going to uh, read the whole article, but I'll, I'll read some of it to you. It says this, The secretive Bilderberg group gathers for its annual meeting this week. And this is, of course, written, it's not this week, this is not a current article. A collective of elite North American and European politicians, business leaders, financiers, and academics. 
the group has attracted a good deal of suspicion over the last half century with conspiracy theories confidently asserting that its members are plotting the new world order and are hell-bent on global domination. It goes on to say this, No minutes are taken, and the outcomes of their discussions are not made public. Hence the assumption that they are a sinister cabal of the rich and powerful with something to hide. But here's what I thought was interesting. Member of Parliament and one-time party deputy leader Dennis Healy, a member of the steering committee for more than 30 years. And the steering committee is the committee that actually sets up this organization. So there's a guy who's been in the Bilderberg Group for 30 years, and he served as a member of Parliament, uh, excuse me, Parliament in England. Um, it says he did offer a clear statement on its intentions when quizzed by journalist John Ronson in his book Them in 2001. Here's what he says. To say we were striving for a one-world government is exaggerated, but not wholly unfair, he said. Those of us in Bilderberg felt we couldn't go on forever fighting one another for nothing and killing people and rendering millions homeless. So we felt that a single community throughout the world would be a good thing. So here's what's interesting. And look, you know, here are my thoughts. I don't necessarily believe that people are getting together at this Bilderberg group and they're just like wearing hoods and they're just like, ha, 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 we're going to enslave them all. I'm a lizard, you know. I don't really think that's what they're doing, you know, but I do, here's what I do believe. I do believe that the devil, you know, puts certain people in positions and those people, look, they don't, they're not Christians. They hate God. They don't love the Bible. They don't see a hope in the Bible. They think if things are going to get better, we have to do it. And I'm actually talking more about that in a minute. Called, you know, it's called the Enlightenment uh, movement. But they think, you know, we, we got to make the world better. And how are they going to do it? By controlling and bringing about the new world order. He's putting these people together and he's using them to bring about this new world order. And even this guy, he says, hey, we're not, you know, trying to bring about the new world go, uh, uh, order, but we did feel that a single community throughout the world would be a good thing. Well, let me explain something to you. That's the new world order. When all the richest financial people, political leaders, you know, influential people get together and they say, hey, let's bring, let's bring about a one world community. Yeah, you're bringing about the new world order. That's what we're talking about. You know, here's a list of some well-known politicians, financial leaders, and business leaders who have attended the Bilderberg Group. Margaret Thatcher, Henry Kissinger, Tony Blair, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Bill Gates, Prince Charles, Lindsey Graham, Condoleezza Rice, Tom Daschle, John Kerry, David Rockefeller Sr., John Edwards, Jeff Bezos, William F. Buckley Jr., Rick Perry, Charlie Rose, George Stephanopoulos. I mean, you know, and and every year they're having this and they bring different people all the time, but it's always these elites saying, we're just trying to bring about a, you know, single community to help the world. And what they're really bringing about is the new world order. Now, here's what you need to understand, okay? The political princes of this world are influenced by the demonic princes of the spirit world. Okay, I'm going to prove that to you from the Bible. Let's try to do this quickly because there's other stuff I want to get to in this sermon. Ezekiel 28, and I don't want to preach about this next week because it won't be Halloween anymore. Ezekiel 28, look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say, 
unto the prince of Tyrus. Now, I want you to notice the prince of Tyrus. So here we have Ezekiel preaching against a politician. Who would have figured? We've got Ezekiel the prophet preaching against the prince of Tyrus. Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am God, I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God, though thou settest thine heart as the heart of God. So here we have a politician, you know, tell me if we have these in, 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 in 2020, a politician who's filled with pride. <laughs> I mean, he just thinks he's, I am God. I sit in the seat of God. And, then, and we have Ezekiel saying, no, you're a man. You're not God. And he's talking about the prince of Tyrus. This is a physical man, a literal leader, the prince of the isle of Tyrus that Ezekiel is preaching against. But I want you to notice, in verse 11, there's a transition. And in verse 11, Ezekiel begins to talk about another prince. Ezekiel 28, 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. So in verse 2, we're talking about the prince of Tyrus. Now we're talking about the king of Tyrus. Now, the, and he's trying to show us there's a connection here. They're both leaders of Tyrus, but one outranks the other. The prince of Tyrus is the actual political, physical human leader. But there's another leader above him, the king of Tyrus. Notice verse 12. And this is not a physical guy. This is not a human being. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at the verse. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, uh, full of windows, and perfect in beauty. Look at verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Okay? So this king of Tyrus is someone who was in Eden, the garden of God. Now look, if you're familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, there's, there's only basically three people that were in the garden, not including God. Right? Adam, Eve, and the serpent. The devil. And we're going to actually look at that later on in the sermon here in a little bit. But here we're told the king of Tyrus, who's controlling the physical prince of Tyrus, he says, Thou hast been and eat in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. Notice, the workmanship of thy tablets and the pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. This is talking about the devil. The devil's a cherubim, and I don't have time to explain that. I preached the book of Ezekiel. You can look up Ezekiel 28 and listen to it if you want. But the point is this. There is a spiritual king called the devil. We know it's the devil because he was in the, uh, thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. And he is controlling the prince of Tyrus. And the reason that the prince of Tyrus is pride-filled and, and thinks that I'm God. And by the way, political leaders throughout the world, throughout history, have thought that they were a God. You know, the reason he's doing that because the devil controlling him thinks that he's God. Right? He, he tried to ascend up to be like God. And I'm showing this to show you that the prince of Tyrus, in verses 1 and 2, is the political human leader of Tyre, and he's being controlled by the king of Tyrus, verses 11 13, which is the spiritual devil controlling the human leader. And we know that is because he says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. This is not the only place we see this in Scripture. Go to the book of Daniel. Right after Ezekiel, you have the book of Daniel. Let me give you another example. Daniel chapter number 10. Daniel chapter number 10. Daniel chapter 10, look at verse 11. And again, we could preach a whole sermon out of Daniel 10. I'm not going to take the time to do that. But go to Daniel chapter 10 and verse 11. 
And he, now the he there, if you look at the context, I don't have time to read the whole context. You can study it out on your own. He, this is referring to an angel who's speaking to Daniel. Okay, and you can get that from the context earlier in the, in the passage. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy word. So Daniel, he's trying to figure out this hard prophecy. He begins to uh, uh, fast for 21 days. And from the moment he started fasting, God sends this angel to give Daniel the response. But notice, in verse 13, we see spiritual warfare. Verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, and of course Michael's one of the good guys, the archangel, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. I want you to notice that they refer, he's referring to the devils, the demons that are fighting this angel. He refers to him as the prince of the kingdom of Persia. You say, why? Because look, I, I believe there's, and again, this is more we can get into, but there are, Hundreds of thousands of devils that are all under the authority of the devil, Satan. And I think, you know, the devil's just sending his devils to every country to influence and control those countries. He's got embassies in every country just controlling those politicians, controlling the bankers, controlling uh, uh, those influencers to bring about a new world order. Now, let me, um, let me just talk to you briefly <clears throat> about the kind of the doctrine of, of the devil in regards to this. Go to the book of Isaiah, if you would. If you go backwards, you have Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah. And, and again, when we talk about the conspiracy aspects of it, there's so much you could get into, so many things we could talk about. I could preach a whole sermon about the Freemasons. I could preach a whole sermon about the Bilderberg Group. I could preach a whole sermon about all these things. But I, I don't have time for that, but I, I, I want to give you one that kind of explains to you the philosophy of uh, the, the New World Order and the elites, and, and one that's closely connected to the United States of America, because I, you know, I have to piss off all the patriots. So this is from a sermon <clears throat> entitled uh, Illuminati and Enlightenment. Now, if, if you're not familiar with the Enlightenment movement, um, it's a movement that came about in the 1700s, 1800s, and um, it, it's, it's a philosophy. Let me just read this to you because it's connected to the Illuminati. So I'll just read this article to you. Under the heading of the Illuminati, it says this. Historically, the name refers to the Bavarian Illuminati, an Enlightenment-era secret society founded on May 1st, 1776. You know, quite a coincidence. The society, you know, I wonder what else was founded on 1776. The society's goals were to oppose superstition, obscurantism, religious influences over public life, and abuses of state power. The Illuminati, along with the Freemasonry and the other secret societies, were outlawed by the Bavarian ruler Charles Theodore. And then it goes on to say this, in subsequent use, 
Illuminati refers to various organizations which claim and are purported to have links to the original Bavarian Illuminati or similar secret societies, though these links are unsubstantiated. They are often alleged to conspire to control world affairs by mastering events and planning agents in governments and uh, corporations in order to gain political power and influence and to establish the new world order. All right, so that's the Illuminati, right? And look, I don't, I, I don't know that there is necessarily a group that actually meets and calls themselves the Illuminati. You know, I don't know why there wouldn't be, but you know, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I have proof of that or whatever. But I would say this, the Illuminati is just kind of a catch-all phrase for this idea that there are elites who think that they know better than you in the Bible and they want to bring about a one-world system. You know, so like the Bilderberg Group is part of the Illuminati. Whether they actually are, have a charter that says they're part of the Illuminati or they're just part of the Illuminati in spirit. Because here's what I'm going to prove to you. The Illuminati, that thought, the Enlightenment era, that idea, those philosophies came from the devil. So here, let me read to you from the Enlightenment uh, period. And, you know, these are things you should have learned in school, but, you know, you may not have... Uh, depending on what schools you went to. But notice what, he, what, what the article says. And, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because you can fact check all of this. Okay? You, can, you can look this stuff up, and if you don't believe me, that's fine. Look it up, and you can you know, turn off the stinking television and actually read something, and uh, you might learn something. Enlightenment, a European intellectual movement of the 17th and 18th century, in which ideas concerning God reason, nature, and man were synthesized into a worldview. Central to Enlightenment thought were the use and the celebration of reason, the power by which man understands the universe and improves his own condition. All right? So the Enlightenment philosophy is, the, is an idea about God, reason, nature, and man and it is a worldview that celebrates reason, and it celebrates the idea that man can improve himself, which is why these elites gather together to bring about a one-world government, because we can do it better than what God set out. Here's what the article says. The goals of rational man were considered to be knowledge, freedom, and happiness. Does that sound familiar? Inevitably, the method of reason was applied to religion itself. The product of a search for a natural, rational religion was deism. Which, by the way, most of our founding fathers were not Christians, they were deists. You say, why is that? Because they were influenced by the Enlightenment movement. And the Enlightenment movement, the product of someone who says, well, I want to believe in a God but he has to be natural, rational, you know, it needs to be a national, a natural, rational religion. Well, the product of that is deism, which although never, uh, uh, was never an organized cult or movement, conflicted with Christianity for two centuries. The idea of society as a social contract, however, contrasted sharply with the realities of actual societies. Thus, the Enlightenment became critical, reforming, and eventually revolutionary. 
John Locke, you should have learned about that in, about him in school. A man who highly influenced his writings, highly influenced the founding fathers. John Locke, Jeremy Bentham in England, Jean-Jacques uh, Rousseau, Mon, uh, Montague, and Voltaire in France, and Thomas Jefferson in America all contributed to an evolving critique of the arbitrary authoritarian state and to sketching the outline of a higher form of social organization based on natural rights and functioning as a political system. Such powerful ideas found expression as reform in England and as revolution in France and America. See, the, the Enlightenment era, Voltaire, John Locke, you know, these guys, they wrote about these principles. They said, we're going to enlighten you. We're going to, you know, the light bulb's going to go off. This is why the, the system, that was, the, the organization that was prepared uh, under the Enlightenment or because of the Enlightenment is called the Illuminati, Illumination, because they're going to enlighten you. They were a system that said, yeah, we don't have a problem with God. We just believe in a rational God. We believe in nature, a God of nature that gives us natural rights and we can improve ourselves and we can bring about, you know, uh, knowledge and freedom and happiness. And here's what they say, ultimately, because if you get up to the higher levels of the Masons and the Illuminati, what they ultimately say is this. We don't need the God of the Bible. We believe in a God that is the God of nature, a force. Remember the Star Wars? A force of nature. That's the actual God we serve. And we can better ourselves. And we can bring this about politically. This is what the Enlightenment area brought about, the philosophy that brought us the Illuminati. Are you there in Isaiah 14? Look at verse 12. I just think this is interesting. Because their whole thing is enlightenment, illumination, right? Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Who's Lucifer? Satan, the devil. Lucifer, you know what the word Lucifer means? Light bringer. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which this weakened the nations? See, Lucifer brings this message that says, I'm going to enlighten you. I'm going to illuminate you. You say, how do you do it? And, and, it's, and it's something that is, it's, it's really attractive to the elites. Because the elites, they're a bunch of rich, proud, arrogant people anyway. They think they don't need God anyway. They think they're all that in a bag of chips anyway. They'll stand up on national TV and say, I'm the most unracist person who's ever existed. It's like, how do you even say that? You know, good night. You know, they're just proud and arrogant uh, people. And then Lucifer comes along and says, let me enlighten you. Through knowledge, we can better ourselves. And, 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 and it's, it's all rationale, natural laws, natural God, which is really a rejection of the God of the Bible and is a superstitious God. You say, why do you bring this up? Because look, you got to face this. The Enlightenment, look, historically, Google this, 
fact check me on this. The Enlightenment era had an influence on the beginnings of the United States of America, period. Whether you believe in the Illuminati or not, John Locke influenced the Founding Fathers, period. That's a fact. Don't argue with me about that till you research it, and, and, and that's just, they, that's what the history books tell you. And look, you don't even, you just read the Declaration of Independence written by Thomas Jefferson. And you know what it's filled with? A bunch of enlightenment doctrine. Let me remind you of it. The Declaration of Independence, written on July 4th, 1776, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature, that's enlightenment philosophy, to which the laws of nature and nature's God, that's enlightenment philosophy. And Christians are like, oh, Thomas Jefferson, he was saved. Nature's God. Nature's God is the force. The force be with you. That's nature's God. Notice there's no mention about Jehovah God, the God of the Bible. There's no mention about the Lord Jesus Christ. The separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God. And by the way, you know that Hindus would have no problem with this? You know that, you know, mysticism and New Age would have no problems with this? They believe in a nature's God too. Reincarnation, all those things. To which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them a decent respect for the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the causes which impel them to the, uh, to the separation. And then, of course, the most famous part of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. But wait a minute. Self-evident truth, that's enlightenment terminology. That's enlightenment philosophy. Let me ask you this. Does the Bible teach that truth comes from you? Here's what the Bible says. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know what the Bible says? You know what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what the Bible says? Truth comes from the word of God. We get truth from the word of God. You want to know what's true? You look at the Bible, that's truth. But you know what the Enlightenment uh, philosophy teaches? No, truth comes from you. We hold these truths not from the Bible, not from the Word of God. I've proven that over the last several weeks, that this country is not founded upon upon biblical principles, period. They say we hold these truths to be self-evident. Why? Because it's this Enlightenment, we can better ourselves, it comes from us. And look, the Enlightenment philosophy is well alive today. You say, ah, this is stuff from the 1700s, the Illuminati. Okay, how about the LGBTQ trans gender movement of today? I mean, listen to their rhetoric. Transgender. You got a guy who wants to identify himself as a woman. You know? And we're supposed to act like that's normal and it's fine. You know, next, the next thing is you're going to have fat people wanting to identify themselves as skinny. I'm not actually skinny, but I want to identify myself as skinny. You know, my, my preferred, uh, I, I prefer to be referred to as slim and trim and thin. You know, you got a man who wants to identify himself as a woman, and you know what the LGBTQ Black Lives Matters movement says to them? They said, live your truth. Because there's no such thing as absolute truth. Hey, if it's true to you, just live your truth. You're a woman caught in a man's body? Live your truth. My wife was recently telling me about a guy who, he's, he, he's a man, 
who identifies as a woman, but the woman happens to be a lesbian and is attracted to women. It's like, you know what that is? It's a man. <laughs> no, I'm a man that identifies as a woman, but that woman happens to also be a lesbian, so I'm attracted to women. It's like, shut up. No, but you know what the LGBTQ community says? Live your truth. If it's true to you. You know what? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's word is truth. And Thomas Jefferson says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, the problem with self-evident truth is that self-evident truth changes with whoever's self it is. You know, and these guys are a bunch of hypocrites talking about that uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Why? And then he goes home to a bunch of slaves. That they are endowed by their creator. Notice, no mention of Jesus Christ. No mention of Jehovah God. No mention of the God of the Bible. With certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All of that is enlightenment to the terminology, enlightenment philosophy, enlightenment trash. And I'm here to tell you, it came from the devil. You say, prove it to me. Genesis chapter 3, last place we'll go to this morning. Enlightenment philosophy is this philosophy that says nature's God and nature endows you with rights and through knowledge we can be enlightened and illuminated and, and we, can, we don't need God. We can become God. How are we going to do it? Satan, through the new world order, through a govern, one world government system, one world religious system, one world monetary system. We're going to prop up elites to get together and say, well, let's create a one world community to make everything better. That's enlightenment philosophy. That came from Lucifer, the light bearer, the devil, the light bringer. Let me just show it to you, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The first time we see Satan in scripture, what does he say? Remember, God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of every tree of the garden. He said, there's one tree that you're not allowed to eat of. The tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the fruit of the garden? Begins by questioning God's word. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the trees, uh, uh, eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, referring to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she says, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. It goes from questioning God's word to just defying God's word. Then look at verse 5. Here's enlightenment, Illuminati, Luciferian philosophy. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Enlightenment, illumination. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. See, from the very beginning, the devil, you know what he was teaching? A rational natural, nature's God, you don't need God, you can become God through enlightenment. And then that enlightenment movement brought us the United States of America. That enlightenment movement brought us the French Revolution. That enlightenment movement, uh, you know, reformed England, the world powers, 
of, of the time, France, England, and the U.S., and the U.S. was becoming a world power, were infiltrated and influenced by the Enlightenment movement, and those three, three nations 200 years ago influenced the entire world. And today, you know what we have? A nation not full of monarchs. We have a nation full of democracies that all teach we don't need God. We can become better on our own. We can pursue freedom and knowledge and happiness. The pursuit of happiness is what the nature's God has given you. Look, this is all alignment philosophy. And look, you need to just decide, am I, am, am I, am I going to be loyal to the word of God? Or am I going to be loyal to an American flag? And look, I'm not, you people, you preach these things and people think like, ah, you're just like anti-American. You want us to go to war with America. No, no, this is spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You say, well, how do you engage in spiritual warfare? You shine the truth of the glorious gospel of Christ upon darkness. You hold up the truth and say, no, that's not truth. Here's the truth. The word of God is truth. You say, what's the hope for America? The Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, it's not Joe Biden. It's not Donald Trump. It's not any politician. It is Lord Jesus Christ, period. And if you don't like me saying that, you're the problem. You're the reason we're in the state we're in. Because we've just fell hook, line, and sinker for the doctrines and the believing of the God of this world, of the prince of the power of the air. You've allowed the media and television to just brainwash you, and you're just going along with it. And you know what? The Bible says we need to go along with God's word. The rulers of this world is a real thing. They're political, financial, and religious leaders that are being influenced by the princes and the devils and the demons of this world. Uh, the spirit world. Let's bow our heads and I want to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, thank you for the study. I know it's deep and there's a lot there and there's so much more that we could have said. But Lord, I just pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to just be Christians that would disconnect from the philosophies of this world and just get back to the Bible. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just fight and engage spiritual warfare uh, by preaching the truth and believing the truth. And Lord, if there's people here today that maybe think, I've never heard that before, Lord, help them to just realize the spirit in which I'm preaching this. And Lord, help them to just have the courage to actually read the Bible and actually study these things and realize that this is the truth of the world we live in. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to always focus on that which is spiritual and true. And Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.